From Pacifica, this is Democracy Now! Democracy Now! is a daily, independent, award-winning news program heard on the station Monday through Friday. Headlines can be heard at 8 a.m. on Morning Main and in its entirety at 5 p.m. Democracy Now!'s War and Peace Report provides our audience with access to people and perspectives rarely heard in the U.S. corporate-sponsored media, including independent and international journalists and ordinary people from around the world who are directly affected by U.S. foreign policy. For alternative news analysis, tune into Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman weekdays at 8 a.m. for the headlines and 5 p.m. for the complete hour, only on Community Radio WERU-FM. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and Opera House Arts at the Stonington Opera House with a schedule of concerts, theater, live family entertainment, and first-run movies. Tickets and information at operahousearts.org. WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and on the web at weru.org, presenting diverse music and alternative public affairs. Support for WERU comes from Easterly Wine of Belfast, Maine, an independent enterprise that supports free speech, democracy, and independent media. It's about 55 seconds before the hour, 4 o'clock Maine Currents time. A great thank you, a big thank you to everyone who contributed and volunteered during our pledge drive. Thank you so much, and if you haven't become a member yet, please do take the time right now or in the future to call 469 6600 during weekday business hours, which is right now. And or you can give online at weru.org. 30 seconds to the hour. We've got time to tell you about a winter storm warning. Wednesday night it's going to start snowing, and three to seven inches later it'll stop probably late Thursday night, they're saying. It's a 100% chance of a storm on Wednesday night. Meanwhile, we're at 40 degrees today right now, mostly cloudy tonight at 29. Wednesday, mostly cloudy, then a chance of snow during the day in the afternoon, 50%, and more and more as the day progresses. Stay tuned for main currents. And this is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture for Tuesday, March 6, 2018. I'm Amy Brown, and we're live in the studio today where we'll be taking your calls and talking about non-binary gender identities and the Health Equity Alliance. We are joined today by Nick Sparlin, Umbreen Rana, Maddie Magnuson, and Hannah Rulin. They are going to share their experiences, answer your questions, define some terms for us. And we're going to start by having them go around the table and tell you a little bit about themselves. And then after that, we'll open the phone lines. The phone number into the studio is 469-0500. But let's let our guests introduce themselves first. And we're going to start with Umbreen. Hi, my name is Umbreen Rana. Um, I use she, her, and they, them pronouns, um, and I'm with the Health Equity Alliance. There I run a community center for the LGBTQ plus community. I run a youth drop-in center uh, weekly for LGBTQ youth, and I'm the co-chair of Bangor Pride. I am also the co-chair of Maine Transgender Network, which is an organization that um, runs support groups and drop-ins for transgender people across across the state. Hi there. Um, my name is Nick Sparlin. Um, I use the pronouns they, them, and I identify as gender non-binary. Um, I am a friend of Health Equity Alliance, um, not directly affiliated. Um, let me see. What can I say? Um, I am a freelance uh, technical theater worker. Um, and, yeah, I'll pass the torch on. 
I'm Hannah Rulin. I use they, them pronouns, and I am the Northern Maine LGBTQ plus community organizer with Health Equity Alliance. I am the other co-chair for Bangor Pride, and I also volunteer with the Mabel Wadsworth Center. And I'm Maddie Magnuson. Um, I also work at the Health Equity Alliance as the director of LGBTQ plus and harm reduction services. Um, and there I oversee our two teams. Um, we offer lots of services, um, including the youth drop-in that Embreen uh, was talking about. And we um, also do trainings for community organizations, healthcare providers, um, and we're gearing up for our 2018 LGBTQ LGBTQ plus um, healthcare conference um, on June 29th in Bangor. All right. So tons of experience in this room. And the show actually was suggested by Hannah, who has uh, been a guest host of the short feature outside the box, Larry Dansinger's short feature. And maybe just start off with what what you were thinking, what your goals are, and, and then we're going to get into some terminology. But overall, uh, what inspired you to think that maybe a longer uh, piece rather than just the short future might be helpful? Yeah, um, you know, a lot of folks are really just not educated about non-binary identities. It's something that's completely outside of their realm of experience. And while I definitely feel the spot that I did on Outside the Box was informational, you know, there wasn't the opportunity for people to ask questions And, you know, it being so brief, there was only so much that could be covered. And the topic of gender is one that has a lot of complexities and nuances to it. So being able to do this in a longer broadcast, I feel, really gives the opportunity to cover all of those nuances, or at least more of them. Great, great. All right. So at this point, we'll open the phone lines. We have uh, a lot of uh, terms to define, but I want to just make sure that people know that at any point, if they want to call in with a question or to share their own experiences, you can do so. The number is 469-0500, right into the studio, or you can call 1-800-643. Actually, no, I'm back on pledge drive mode. The toll-free number to call into the studio is 1-866-625-9378, but the easier way is just 469-0500. So just to set the stage for a further discussion you have some terminology and you've broken it up into categories. Who is going to start with that? Umbreen. Yeah. So this is Umbreen. Um, so in order to talk about non-binary and gender non-conforming identities, we need to talk about the social construct of the gender binary. So the gender binary is that idea that classifies um, sexes and gender as two distinct opposite and disconnecting entities um, that separate them into male and female. But in reality, gender is a spectrum. So the gender binary not only enforces gender um, into the roles that those genders are expected to conform to, but they also dictate how people are to dress and act and behave. And those things can be really restrictive. So um, the uh, gender um, can be assigned, um, is generally assigned by a doctor at birth um, when in reality, that's sex. Um, and uh, someone that is transgender, um, they do not agree with, with what the doctor had said at birth. 
Um, and to define the term cisgender, that's when someone's gender identity corresponds with that, that, that sex that was assigned at birth. Do you mind pausing for just yeah. a second? We have a caller already. Uh, William from Surrey, go ahead with your question or comment. Hi. I just wanted to ask, um, I've been around um, I've been in Boston and um, other fairly liberal universities and areas, and I just wanted to, um, I just wanted to ask, how does one uh, believe that they aren't a specific gender, uh, and I say gender in this case, meaning sex assigned at birth, because uh, to the best of my knowledge and many others, you're, you're, you're breaking up, William. You're, it sounds like you're on a bad cell phone connection, but I think the gist of what you're saying is how does one know that they are not whatever uh, sex was identified on their birth certificate? And, and I think maybe everybody in the room can, can weigh in on that. Hannah, you uh, want to go first? Yeah. Um, so first what I'd like to cover with that, um, which was a little bit of what Umbreen was starting to get into, is you know how we assign sex at birth, how we assign gender, is we know that there are identities outside of the binary because identities outside of the binary have been recognized across cultures and across time. Um, Typically, you know, that's recognizing the two binary genders and then a third one outside of that. But there have been more than one culture, multiple cultures across history that have recognized even up to five distinct genders with their own gender roles and rules for that society. So we know that the reality of gender isn't so cut and dry that you are what, you know, your born doctor says, oh, hey, you are this, or oh, hey, you are that. You know, we know that it's more nuanced and complicated than that. So what's important to keep in mind is, you know, gender is that internal element of identity. When we're talking about sex, you know, that typically refers to physical characteristics, and that's its own whole messy spectrum. But if we just look at gender, again, that's that internal element. So someone knows (coughs) that they you know, are non-binary or gender non-conforming or, you know, for binary trans folks, they know that they're that because they know what their gender is. Um, Just like, you know, a cisgender woman, if you were to ask her like, oh, what's your gender? She would say, I'm a woman, Um, you know, because it's that internal element of identity. Yeah, and it, it's really up to the individual, as Hannah was saying. It, it definitely varies. Um, I mean, we've all had, like, different formative experiences that have allowed us to come to the conclusion of what we think our gender identity is, like what we believe about ourselves. Um, and that's an important thing to have, like this individuality. And I think it's really cool if you look at um, how gender is studied, like to see the variations across cultures and across time, as Hannah was saying, because it just shows um, like how truly diverse the human population is. Like we are not all within one or two or even three boxes. There are so many different things to explore. You're uh Thank you for oh, answering that question. Who do, who, we have a new caller on. Oh, this is William is still there. You said, okay, yeah. you're not breaking up anymore. Did you, we have more responses here in the studio, but if you have a quick follow-up, go ahead. Um, I also just wanted to know how much of this, uh, gen, uh, this non-conforming gender um, uh, terminology, how much of it actually has the, is a social construct for people who feel that they don't fit in and are just trying to make themselves be more interesting or more appealing. Um, uh, uh, what I'm really saying is how much of this is just um, 
it's just a means for um, attracting attention rather than what a person actually feels. And uh, uh, with, I'll leave you with that, and I'll uh, clear the airways. Okay, Maddie, I think, has something to say. Yeah, I just want to touch on the point that people often do equate sex and gender as the same thing. So I think as Umbrain was about to say, you know, a doctor sees a baby. Uh, if there's a penis, they say it's a boy. And if there's not a penis but a vulva, they say it's a girl. And then we raise um, them as a gender based on that sex assigned at birth. Um I think within academia, um, thanks to feminism and things like that, we start to explore and break down gender roles and what gender is and is gender socially constructed. Do, you know, women always have to wear dresses and, you know, be a homemaker because they have the biological capability to, you know, have children, et cetera. We're starting to break those down. But I think what people also don't recognize is that um, there are uh, sex variations as well, biological sex variations. Um, so, you know, I mentioned the conference we're doing earlier. We're going to have a keynote speaker named Pigeon Pagonis, who is um, an intersex activist. So there's um, a whole lot of folks who who fall um, on a spectrum between uh, characteristics that we would normally call male and characteristics that we'd normally call female sex characteristics. Um, and so I think that's also a part of it. You know, we we do know that sex and gender are two distinct things. Sex generally um, refers to someone's biological characteristics like chromosomes, hormones, um, facial hair, secondary sex characteristics, those kind of things, internal reproductive <laughs> organs versus gender, uh, gender is the innate sense of who you are. Um, but there, but there is some overlap. I know for me personally, um, growing up, I I didn't feel like I fit into the traditional mold of what it was to be to be a girl, um, and I was uncomfortable. I didn't have the language to describe it. Um, but with puberty, I also recognized, you know, I was you know, imagining that I was going to grow up into be some sort of voluptuous ideal form. And I wasn't, I had chest hair and a flat chest and facial hair. And, and I think those biological sex characteristics contributed to my sense of having a non-binary identity. I don't think those were the only things, but I think for me personally, there was some overlap there. Um, and so it isn't, I don't think me trying to be special, but me feeling again, like, our world is trying to make a very, very narrow version of what you can be to be a man or a woman um, or to be male or female. And a lot of people don't feel comfortable with that and don't don't want to be a part of it. Um, you know, I have to say with William's question about uh, whether or not people who are non-binary are just trying to get attention, I felt my back go up and I actually the sort of calm response in the room it makes me wonder if this is something that you're just kind of used to dealing with. Oh, definitely. Um, this is Nick. And, and my response to that would be um, I, I really don't think it's people out there trying to get attention or to make themselves seem special or, or different so they could, like, rub it into people's faces or anything like that. I think it's that um, as our society has become more accepting of queer issues and queer people, people are now comfortable um, using language um, to find ways to, you know, label themselves, like, um, and make themselves feel, like, more safer and secure in um, their variations, how they differ from other people, which is a perfectly acceptable thing to do. Language changes all the time. Um, and it's important that it does that because we're, we're all very different. Um, we're, like, even, like, small differences, like, between people or big differences. Like, it's important to have different terminology um, because we are social people and social people like 
social groupings. Like, it makes sense. I want to make sure that, oh, sorry, Hannah, we'll get to Hannah, and then we won't lose track of the uh, getting back to Umbreen with the definitions that we were going to. But I want to make sure that before we move on to a completely different topic, uh, first off, I give the phone number again if anybody wants to call in with a follow-up or a question, 469-0500 into the studio. This is Maine Currents. But the other part of what William was asking before the phone was breaking up was about how do you know? Does anybody want to talk about uh, personal experiences? Does anybody feel comfortable talking about personal experiences or about experiences that maybe others have told you about, about how they knew that they did not fit into a binary uh, gender? And and maybe the fact is that most people don't and people just don't realize it. But can does anybody want to address that? Hannah? Yeah. Um, so I did first, I just want to touch on, you know, the issue of attention. And I think what's really important to note is that the attention that people typically get for being trans, whether that's binary, non-binary, gender non-conforming, is not positive attention. Um, It's violence is unfortunately what trans folks, again, binary and non-binary alike, are very much subjected to. Um, As far as how you know and how you realize it, it's, you know, very complicated. I can speak from my own personal experience, you know, growing up as... As a child, I didn't, you know, really recognize, you know, because I didn't have the language for knowing, oh, I'm genderqueer. So I didn't know that I was because that wasn't a word that I knew. Um, I can definitely look back at my childhood at moments and be like, oh, wow, like that is super obvious. Um, As far as my realization, you know, it came about, um, started when I went off to college, I started being exposed to more people, more language. And, you know, learning about the gender being a binary in our culture and that there's more that exists outside of that. And it was, you know, discovering that language that made me realize it. And it's not, you know, being exposed to that language I decided I was. It was I finally had the language to put to those internal feelings. Um You know, you can't describe the color red unless you know the word red. So you can't describe feelings of being non-binary, of being genderqueer, unless those words exist for you. And that's part of why we've seen so much new language be created is because having language to explain yourself is so important for our identities. And I think that's why we've seen more of this is because as that language becomes more available, people are able to put to words who they are. Did you, uh, uh, sorry, I, did anybody else want to weigh in on that before we take a call? Um, definitely. No. Um, I agree a lot with what Hannah said. Um, I mean, I can look back into my childhood um, when I had realizations that I didn't necessarily subscribe to what people's idea of a woman should be. Like, I used to walk around the playground saying that I was three quarters boy and one quarter girl, like stuff like that. Um, that, like, you don't have the words for and I definitely think like growing up reading um talking with um a a diverse amount of people like with different ideas and stuff like that um you start you start really um to get a feel for who you are in the world um and like where you're you stand as an individual your identity um and so having having the words the terminology behind it is just so powerful because it makes the feelings that you have inside seem so real 
All right. Uh, William from Surrey is back. Let me give the phone number again. It's 469-0500. If you have a question or a comment for Maine Currents, we're talking about non-binary gender identities. Uh, go ahead, William. Hi. Thank you for taking my call again. Um, I just wanted to um, put forth the idea uh, for uh, binary and or rather non-binary and transgender um, for your speakers. Um, would you consider yourselves to have uh, gender dysmorphia? Do you mean gender dysphoria? Yes. What? I'm sorry. What did I say? You said dysmorphia. Close oh, word. Not no. quite the same. Different pathology. Um, would you uh, consider that you uh, uh, went undiagnosed with uh, gender disassociation? So um, I'll just touch on the fact that LGBTQ identities have historically been um, pathologized. So homosexuality was in the DSM manual for um, uh, therapists to use as a diagnostic tool. We no longer have that in the DSM, but um, some um, terms related to transgender identities are still um, pathologized to a degree and used as a way to allow people to get hospitals to uh, give them the um, health care that they need. Um, so for gender dysphoria, usually that refers to a sense of discomfort. And so, you know, you get a body dysphoria, a sense of discomfort with uh, your body or social dysphoria. So when people are referring to you as a gender that you're not, that can feel really dysphoric. Um, and I know for me personally, uh, when I was younger, I felt a lot of body dysphoria. Um, I think through uh doing art actually really helps me taking photographs of myself um, and videos and things like that. That really helps me overcome a lot of my body as dysphoria so that now I feel a lot more comfortable in my own skin. But I definitely still feel um, a lot of social dysphoria. So when people refer to me um, with she, her pronouns, sometimes I feel a little bit like I'm in a cage or a box and I have this expectation of who I am supposed to be and who this person sees me as that I find um, um, kind of really challenging. It feels um, like compressing almost. And that's my personal sense. Um, so that's why, you know, when I came out as non-binary and started introducing myself with they, them pronouns, it felt really liberating because I felt a lot more comfortable. And when people respected those, um, I felt like I could be my full self instead of this facade of what they expected me to be. Um, so absolutely, I definitely feel that personally. And the DSM is extremely political. my other world, I use the DSM extensively. It's extremely political. It's been revised historically every so many years. It's, uh, it's influenced by a lot of things. Uh, and, and the question remains, uh, and it, it was a lot uh, spoken about quite a bit recently, a show I did a few weeks ago with the uh, so-called conversion therapy bill in Maine mm -hmm. to try to uh, ban conversion therapy used with kids in the state. It's a widely discredited practice, but it's still used by some people. And the ban, and it's the practice of supposedly turning some, changing someone's sexual orientation uh, through therapy. Most therapeutic organizations see it as at best unethical, uh, if not completely abusive, if they don't come right out and say it's abusive. But some of the testimony at that was was referring to people who uh, may be having what 
some might see as discomfort with their sexuality, but that being externally imposed, that that's not something that comes biologically. This is not a, you know, a biological or neurological or mental illness in the traditional sense. It's more a reaction to the societal expectations. And And actually, perfect jumping point for what I wanted to say, which is that um, typically, you know, when we think of trans folks, we think of binary trans folks. And when we think of binary trans folks, we automatically think every single binary trans person has gender dysphoria. Now, binary trans person, you're talking about somebody who's trans, male, female, not somebody who's fluid somewhere in the spectrum, yep. right? So, okay. um, yeah, because trans just refers to anyone who identifies with a gender different than what they were assigned at birth. So someone who's binary trans would be, you know, like a trans woman would be binary trans. Um, potentially. Anyways, gender is weird. Continuing. <laughs> um, so, you know, typically we think of trans folks, thinks of binary trans folks, and immediately it's, oh, like, all trans people have gender dysphoria. And that if you don't have gender dysphoria, you're not trans. And that's really not true. Um, there are some trans folks who don't have dysphoria at all. Or like Maddie brought up, you know, they may have social dysphoria. They might not have any body dysphoria. Um, you know, it really depends on the individual. And I see just as wide of a spectrum with that among non-binary folks as well. Now, I haven't surveyed every single binary trans person nor every single non-binary trans person. But just in my own experience, both with my own identity and talking to other people I know about, you know, there are some folks who do have dysphoria and some people who don't. Um, I can speak to my own experience with dysphoria, which is that in my case, it's very fluctuating as far as body dysphoria goes. Um, Some days I like do have like body dysphoria. Some days I have like negative 10 body dysphoria. Um, Speaking on social dysphoria though, like Maddie brought up, that is one that is more present. And, you know, like you said, talking about, um, you know, the conversion therapy bill and people who, you know, maybe do identify a certain way and want to change that, but it's because of pressures put on them. You know, that's really what social dysphoria is. You know, those negative feelings aren't inherent to that individual. It's because of the lack of respect that they are being treated with. And I I would just add to that, that's why we do a lot of education around um, things like how to ask someone's pronouns and use someone's correct pronouns or how to use language um, that's less binary. So instead of, um, hello, ladies and gentlemen, it's, hey, folks, how you doing today? Um, Things like that, because we don't want to make assumptions. Because I think another thing is um, when you are misgendering someone, you know, there can be a lot of reactions. And I know for me personally, it really makes someone feel invisible um, and not seen. I mean, similarly, you know, um, if I called someone he, if they were a woman and and vice versa it, it would make you feel uncomfortable and 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 potentially like someone doesn't see you who f- for who you are and you can imagine that the dissonance that that would create all right let me just jump in and remind listeners you are listening to main currents on weru fm the phone lines are open at 469-0500 or 1-866-625-9378 again the easy one is 469-0500 john greenman standing by to take your questions or comments i'm joined here in the studio by umbreen uh 
Rana, who we are going to hear from again in just a moment. We haven't heard from you for a minute. Uh, Maddie Magnuson, Nick Sparlin, and Hannah Rulin. And uh, three of the four of them are associated with the Health Equity Alliance. Uh, I guess all four in some capacity. We're going to hopefully get into a discussion of the Health Equity Alliance, too. We were starting to do a go-around about some uh, definitions. Why don't we... uh, pick up where we left off with that so many minutes ago, but I definitely want to make sure at some point we get back to uh, talking about uh, pronouns, how people are putting those out there as like taglines on emails and in their about sections on social media and why that's important. But we didn't even cover the definitions that we started off with at the top of the show, so I want to make sure we get to more of those because these are important. Ambreen. So we've we've established what non-binary is. Um, It addresses individuals who identify um, outside of the gender binary. Non-binary can be used as an umbrella term to describe a variety of identities, but many use it as a personal label. Um, Some other examples of non-binary genders include bigender, which is someone who identifies with two different genders, or agender, um, using the prefix a, of course, which means lacking, is someone who identifies, um, who does not identify with any gender. I personally use the term genderqueer to describe myself because it's an ambiguous term. It, it doesn't really tell you where I fall um, when it comes to masculinity and femininity. femininity. Um, and this uh, genderqueer doesn't have one solid definition. It's different for whoever it is um, that's using it. It's unique. Okay. Who, uh, do we have more? Are we going around with more definitions? Do you have a split up or... Yeah, this is Maddie again, and I did talk a little bit about the difference between sex and gender, So, but I'll um, reiterate some of that. So again, sex uh, and gender uh, being two distinct different things, although we often equate them as the same thing. Um, sex refers to physical traits uh, such as genitalia, chromosomes, secondary sex characteristics, things like facial hair and chest size. Um, and gender is typically defined as being an internal element of one's identity. So a sense of who you are, being a man or a woman, a boy or girl or something between those two or outside of those boxes. Um, So another way that sex and gender are intertwined, though, um, is that both, again, are in that binary, that gender binary that Umbreen was talking about just a minute ago. Um, But really, there's a whole spectrum of identities. Um, We tend to think of sex as being concrete and only having um, two ways of being expressed. But again, um, when I was talking about intersex identities, there's a whole spectrum out there. So we think of there's only um, XX and XY for chromosomes. But we also know that some people have XXY or XO. um, And I think, again, with for me, the facial hair thing, it also touches on um, some racial and ethnic disparities because a lot of different cultures and places have um, different expressions of body hair. So, you know, you might see a man from one culture not really being able to grow a beard and another place, you know, a very full beard and things like that. So um, a lot of our conceptions around sex characteristics, too, can often um, reflect uh our culture's experience of uh, race and ethnicity as well. Um, So those are just kind of two general uh, definitions for sex and gender. Anybody else have any of the other definitions that you want to jump in with before we go back to, did we cover most of what you had on your list? I think we did. Would we have any on your list that you definitely wanted us to get to that we've missed? Well, I, I want to 
just uh, be, it's going to be a one sentence, but cisgender is a word that mm-hmm. gets used that people may not be familiar yeah. with. So can you explain what that is? I don't think we've gone over that yet. So we talked a little bit about, um, so Maddie and Hannah talk, talked about like doctors assigning sex at birth. So a cisgender person, um, their gender identity corresponds with what the doctor said when they were born. Okay. So it's, go ahead. You wanted to add something, Maddie? Yeah. So it, some people also say a cisgender person is a non-trans person. <laughs> Yes, unfortunately, sometimes people, you know, especially if they don't know the word cisgender, um, you know, to talk about, you know, trans people and then people who aren't trans, you know, they'll just refer to them as not trans. And, you know, it's important to have, you know, we've talked about how important having language is for being able to express ourselves. And that's obviously a really big part of it. But also language is important as far as not othering. Um, you know, if you just have the word transgender and then you don't have the word cisgender and people who are cisgender, you just refer to as not trans, then what you're really doing is you're really othering people who are transgender. You know, you're framing it as people who are normal, which it would be cis, and people who are abnormal. And obviously that's not cool. Um, So that's why I think it's really important that people know the term cisgender. It's one that folks often don't know. Um, Cisgender is often shortened to cis. Uh, That's spelled C-I-S. It comes from the Latin from on the same side as. Uh, while transgender is often shortened to trans, which is from the Latin for, you know, going across from. Um, And I just think it's really important, you know, to have that language available to not other people who are transgender. Okay. So getting back to the conversation about uh, pronouns, why they're important, how uh, people are getting them out there and uh, communicating wishes and what you do if they're not being respected. So let's start with why they're important. Okay, um, I'll take this one. Um, I'm Nick. Um, So pronouns are uh, an important but sometimes a touchy subject. So um, English speakers um, are most familiar with using she, her when describing women and he, him for men, and then they, them in reference to someone who's gendered that they don't know. And so there are a lot of people out there who insist that using they, them as a singular neutral pronoun, as um, many non-binary folks use, um, is grammatically incorrect. But that's actually incorrect. Um, It's been used um, in the writings of Shakespeare, Dickens, and Wilde, and we use it in everyday language as well. Um, An example of this that I use all the time is, oh, no, somebody left their umbrella behind. Like, it's going to rain. I hope they get it soon. So it's something that we use all the time, and people seem to um, get very defensive when people ask for they them pronouns or other pronouns to be used um because it doesn't ascribe to like their personal beliefs about about grammar or um well they're afraid they're going to mess up yes or that too um but language is always changing um and which is super important as we've talked about earlier um and we use it in different ways we adapt um so they them pronouns are commonly used there's zee here zee zeer fay fair like a lot of different pronouns out there but people will tell you if they ask which is the important thing um so like not to assume someone's gender not to just 
call someone by like she, her, or he, him pronouns if you think that's what they are because they may not be. And that act of assumption can sometimes be very hurtful to people. Um, so one thing to keep in mind is if somebody like corrects you with their pronouns, that's that's a gift that they're giving to you. Um, they're not doing it to be petty or mean or rude or to make you feel bad. They're doing it so they can feel comfortable as well, which is important for everyone. And it's important to respect people's pronouns too. So like if somebody tells you that they wish to be referred to with they, them pronouns, um, what I say to people is practice. Practice makes perfect. And you can do it like while doing inane things like washing dishes or driving your car or like before you go to bed, you just practice like they're going to the grocery store. I wonder when they'll be back. Like it's as easy as that, but with the pronouns that they ascribe to. Um, and it's really important to be respectful of these people's, like everyone's pronouns, um, because you don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. Um, the example is like, what if that had happened to you? What if like, if you um, ascribe to a male identity and somebody called you sh- like by she, her pronouns, you'd probably feel very uncomfortable and upset. So you shouldn't do it to other people. You look like you want to jump in there, Maddie. Yeah, so I wanted to thank you, Nick, for saying that. That I feel like that was a great um, description. And it can be hard. I want to recognize that, too. And people in the LGBTQ community have to learn as well. You know, I didn't you know, know right off the bat how to use they, them pronouns. And I messed up as well. And I still mess up. Um, but I definitely, it matters to me. And I know that it's an important thing. So I do practice. And, and it does get easier. So if you put in that intention and re- recognize it as something that is important and take the time to practice, um, you can get it too. And it's okay if you mess up. Um, you can just correct yourself and move on. And um, yep, this is Hannah. Uh, going off of what Maddie just said about, you know, that even people in the community, even people who you know, use they, them pronouns also mess up because we're all human. You know, it's about correcting yourself and moving on. And that moving on bit is so important because what I've noticed and, you know, it's it's not people doing this with malicious intent, but a lot of the time, if someone who is cisgender misgenders someone who is trans, again, whether that person's non-binary or binary trans, they will apologize, but they will turn that apology into being about themselves. Um, so let's say, for example, we have a cisgender man and he accidentally misgenders his trans woman coworker. So when he apologizes to her, instead of just saying, oh, my gosh, I am so sorry, I promise I will work better in the future, or maybe to ask, oh, do you have tips how I can work in the future on this? That would be an appropriate way to do it. Unfortunately, how it often is approached is, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. You know I've been trying so hard and then just giving, you know, a list of excuses and basically turning it into a situation where she now has to comfort him. You know, he was the one who, intentional or not, did do something hurtful. Um, It's important to remember the difference between impact and intent. Um, Just because he doesn't intend to do harm to her doesn't mean that he didn't. So, you know, he's the one who did something that, you know, did upset her, but, you know, unfortunately is turning it into a situation where now she has to comfort him. So that's something to keep in mind. You know, again, we're all human. We all make mistakes. It's okay to make a mistake. Own your mistake, apologize, and move forward from it. Um, You know, your mistake isn't about the other person you've hurt making you feel better. 
So listeners, if you have any questions about how to do this, this is a good time to call in and ask if you've had any experiences with this yourself. Again, it's Maine Currents on WERU and the number into the studio. We're live today is 469-0500. Again, 469-0500 if you have experiences to share or questions to ask, or you can call toll-free at one 866 625-9378. So talking about experiences, how does one get started with this, either from your own experiences or uh, from those of your friends that, or people that you've heard about going out and starting to let the world know that you would prefer to be known by whatever pronouns work for you? How do you do that? And, and do you have any uh, stories to tell about how that's actually worked in a practical level and how many times you have to correct people and Yeah, um, so this is one that is definitely very complicated, and it's complicated whether someone is coming out as non-binary or if they're coming out as bisexual or really any identity within the queer community, you know, it gets complicated. And part of why it's so complicated is in the media, you know, the idea of coming out is portrayed as a one-time event. Um, Whether that event goes well or poorly, you know, it's still portrayed as a one-time event. And regardless of what your identity is, it's not a one-time event. You know, coming out is a, you know, continual experience. Sometimes it goes better. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, You know, it really, you know... (coughs) And what that coming out looks like really depends on the individual, on their identity, and, you know, what they are looking for with coming out. Um, You know, if we look at specifically with, you know, non-binary people, you know, that can get really complicated looking at the fact that, you know, those identities aren't really widely understood Um, You know, if someone is coming out as gay, usually that person won't have to explain what being gay means. Sometimes they still do. But typically, you know, it's not a crash course in gender theory at the same time. So that's something that can complicate it a lot for non-binary folks. Um, Going with that, because, you know, a lot of folks don't know those identities exist, there's also the often unfortunate reality of being met with, well, that's not real, Um, which obviously is very invalidating to someone because coming out is such a vulnerable experience. Um, So which, and again, that is something that uh, binary trans folks deal with, you know, not being believed in their identity, but um, it's definitely a struggle for non-binary folks as well. Um. You know, so for a lot of folks with coming out and being out as non-binary, you know, that might not be in every realm of their life. It may just be in some realms of their life. So I can speak to my own experience. Um, You know, upon first realizing stuff with my identity, you know, it was coming out to really close friends, um, one family member. um, You know, I was in college at the time. so with because of what I was studying in college, able to come out, you know, among my peers and my professors, um, you know, so coming out that way. And then has ta- as time has gone on, you know, coming out to some family members and then throwing in things like work gets very complicated, um, as evidenced by the fact that I've talked about working for HEAL and that I'm their LGBTQ plus community organizer. Uh, it's pretty obvious that I am out at work. However, in previous jobs, I haven't necessarily. Um, 
right prior to this job, I was in a job that I was out. I did make an effort to let people know what my identity was and what my pronouns were. Um, but it wasn't an identity that was respected. You know, these were folks who were supposed to be very progressive, but unfortunately, um, you know, didn't have respect for my identity. And that is unfortunately common. You will have a lot of folks who frame themselves as being accepting, but then when it comes down to actually putting in that effort, they just don't value it. Um, and prior to that, I was a BHP for two years, behavioral health professional working with kids. And in that position, you know, that was one that I couldn't be out in at all. Um, you know, just working with different families, going into people's homes, um, you know, there was way too high of a risk of, you know, f that families would kick me out of working in their home because they didn't feel comfortable with a non-binary person. Um, or being subject literally to physical violence because of it. Um, so that's something that gets very complicated, you know, for people. Um, and again, that's for really for any identity, but looking at specifically non-binary identities. So I think, think something important to keep in mind is that someone's identity is just as valid regardless of how out they are. Um, unfortunately, that is something that's sort of you know, played a lot like, oh, well, if you were really this, you would tell people. And it's like, well, it's not always safe to tell people. And I think as far as coming out goes, that's something important to keep in mind. And that's why it's so important that someone coming and being out is on that individual's terms. Mm. Well, this is like Nick was saying that uh, you said it's like a gift if somebody's actually saying mm -hmm. they're kind of letting you into their circle that, of trust to, to let you know what. And, and Maddie, did you want to jump in there too? You look like you were going to say something. Yeah, I mean, I did want to touch on um, the coming out piece and, and the safety piece too. I think it, it, more people are coming out as it is um, becoming more accepted, the LGBT community. And with the internet, thank goodness, we're able to find each other and talk to each other and realize that we're not alone and start being able to define ourselves rather than have me having medical providers or therapists define us. Um, so that's really helpful. But but it is still, um, it's a risk to not conform to the gender binary. I know personally, I have been harassed on the street for having hairy legs or, you know, facial hair and things like that and not fitting. Um, and people have, you uh, <sighs> harass me to, 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 to conform. Um, so it is something that, you know, I, I kind of have to think about in terms of my surroundings of do I come out? How am I presenting myself in this space? And is it a safe space to, to present myself as, as I am? Let's take a call from Larry in Bangor. Welcome to Bang Currents, Larry. Hi. Um, it's sad to hear uh, these stories of people not feeling they can be themselves. And I just wanted to ask, uh, what can people do to promote more acceptance acceptance of different gender identities? Good question. Thanks, Larry. Umbreen, we haven't heard from you for a while. Yeah, do you want to sure. go first? Hey, Larry, it's nice to hear from you. Um, so some things that you can do, let's say um, in your organization um, or in your house, wherever. So so using non-gendered non language when you're speaking to people. So Maddie had mentioned Instead of ladies and gentlemen, using things like folks or guests, let's say you're asking someone um, about their significant other. Instead of using words like boyfriend or girlfriend, using words like partner or spouse or significant other, like I just mentioned. Um, 
And instead of like boys and girls, using a word like person. So th there's tons of non-gendered language out there, and just normalizing that language is really important because it um, we're not othering people when we do that. We're not excluding people. We're making sure everyone's included. Anybody else? We have another call, but anybody else want to jump in and add anything to that, or should we go to the next call? Oh, just really quickly, um, you know, if you have someone who's non-binary in your life and let's say that person's not in the room and other people are misgendering them, still correcting those people who are misgendering even though the individual being misgendered isn't there. That's still just as important to do whether or not that individual can hear it. And it's one that a lot of people <coughs> don't realize the importance of. Well, and you might be doing the person a favor because they may not know. So you're setting them straight before they embarrass themselves in front of the person by misgendering them in front of themselves. Uh, go ahead, Umbreen. And another thing that we didn't mention is bathrooms. So bathrooms are gendered by either male or female. So what we have in our office are all gender restrooms. So that includes all of the genders, not just not just gender neutral too. Um, right, so. right. The whole sign. I don't care, just as long as you wash your hands. <laughs> yeah. uh, Mac in Searsport, welcome to Maine Currents. Do you have a question or a comment? I do. Thank you. Um, at, at the beginning of the show, your guest spoke about um, uh, this, the uh, cultures in other ages uh, having experience with this, too. And I was wondering if somebody might uh, talk some about that. All right. And thank you. It's very informative. Great. Thanks for calling in. I, I think that was you, Maddie, that was talking about other culture. Or no, it was you, Hannah. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so I don't have all of the sources, like, right in front of me, and I... Unfortunately, I haven't memorized all of them, but I can speak to some of them. Um, so as far as if we look at different, and again, they are hugely varying across the country, but a lot of different Native American cultures across the U.S. and Canada and Mexico, um, you know, had different uh, genders outside of the binary that weren't just recognized, but were really celebrated within the culture. Um, unfortunately, due to, you know, colonization and all of the unfun things associated with that, a lot of, you know, elements of culture were lost or, you know, evolved and developed over time to survive. So, um, you know, kind of the overarching term for um, that a lot of Native Americans who, you know, would you know, fall into the non-binary category would be two-spirit. That's a term that's used within Native American communities. Um, if we look at, I believe it is India. Okay, yeah. I can touch on uh, that. Oh, yeah. If like. I'm reading. You touch yeah. on India. Yeah. So, so in India, um, they have like a term called hijra, which is kind of a third gender. It's usually more feminine people um, in that that's been an identity that's been around for centuries. And of course, Disappeared a little bit with British colonization, but is coming back and is still valid and is still respected. And I think um, also in the same way, it's definitely is definitely lifted up. Um, and in Pakistan, we have the third gender as well, which appears on birth certificates and um, IDs and things like that. So it's also a gender that's respected. Um, Maddie had mentioned earlier about like different different cultures having different um, ideas about like hair and um, presentation and gender expression. And I just wanted to touch on that a little bit too, because um, in America, we see um, being non-binary is such a white thing. And um, 
that that's what we see in groups and like uh, a lot of like people of color are afraid to come out because it's seen as such a white thing but that's not true because in other countries such as Pakistan India um a lot of african countries um have third genders and gender neutral identities um so for all of the people of color out there you are valid and that was one of the reasons it was really hard for me to come out was i was afraid that people wouldn't wouldn't believe me you know i think in a lot of ways this is is to some degree generational because hearing that that was the same with back in the 80s and prior to that uh we now i think as a society for the most part at least i, I want to say for the most part although obviously i don't travel in all worlds i think thinking of somebody as gay lesbian is not considered that much outside of the mainstream it's but it wasn't that long ago that that was shocking to see a gay couple even on a primetime tv show you know ellen coming out as gay in the 80s or 90s or whenever that was was a huge deal and that wasn't that long ago so the people who were around at the and and that was the same with people of color then too it was seen as you know people of color it was obviously much more of a risk for them for the people who were around during that generation and that as all just kind of seemed to be normalized it's a younger generation people are saying okay but it doesn't stop there it it seems to me with the gender fluidity and what you're talking about with the non-binary identities like okay that was great but that's not the end of it and uh this is the next step. i wonder about uh when we're talking about pronouns again getting back to this because this is a big part of sort of the outward manifestation if a just a generic general pronoun of somehow in language we could just all move to a pronoun that was all encapsulating that fit everyone in every situation if, if some of this problem would go away one cool thing is that not every language uses gendered pronouns right right and 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 some are everything is gendered too so mm-hmm. you know so the latin language is that every object you have to try to remember if it's a male or female object which makes it a very hard like hard to learn but do, you look like you were going to jump in there um, yeah um i i do want to touch on um uh with the with different pronouns the cool thing now is that like um uh, social media has come such a long way since its beginnings when you could only click like the uh female or male bubble um right. on your profile like facebook has so many different gender options now which is really nice because you can look on someone's facebook page um and if they are publicly out um you can immediately see like which pronouns that they use or some people um <laughs> who are pretty bold um will make like posts about it um which is great um so like i feel like that's helping um people get on the same page as well um when people um can be publicly out like feel safe to be publicly out on facebook it can be a great resource so like if you're not sure sometimes that can help but again asking people is definitely the best way um since we don't have that all-encompassing pronoun you know quite yet. <laughs> I'm seeing that more on the on email signature lines too. Umbreen, do you want to add Yeah, that to so that? I just want to touch on really quick like the the problem with an all encompassing pronoun is that it can be invalidating um uh to people of their gender identity. Like let's say there's a trans woman, um she would her her gender would be invalidated if I were to use mm, the the, yeah. the pronoun mm. they for her. So that's the importance of pronouns. It really validates identity. Yeah, and we especially see um, you know, stuff with, you know, 
only switching to gender neutral language in an effort to not properly gender binary trans people. I mean, there are a lot of benefits Mm -hmm. to using neutral language, absolutely. But if we look at um, the trans woman in Virginia who got, thank you, Amberine, I could not remember the state, uh, the trans woman Danica, right, Danica Rome, who got elected in Virginia, which was incredible, like so proud of her. Um, You know, the other, her colleagues that she was working with refused to refer to her as a congresswoman. They flat out refused. So they switched to using congressperson and congresspeople. And on the surface, you know, switching from only using congressmen and congresswomen to congresspeople is good because it's not forcefully gendering people. But the reason they did it was so that way they wouldn't have to correctly gender a trans woman. So even though having gender neutral language is great, if you're only using gender neutral language so you don't have to correctly gender someone who has made it very clear how they identify, then that's still misgendering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, it would have to be with everyone. Yeah, we have five minutes left. I want to make sure we talk about the uh, Health Equity Alliance. Uh, There's an article here that I'll... um, put a link to when I archive the show because we don't really have time to talk about it, but it was interesting talking about uh, in uh, 2010, the State Department began allowing people to change uh, gender, change their gender markers on their passports. There's still only male and female categories, but they can still switch them. But uh, this article talks more about in California, uh, trying to make it a more normal thing on a form for just across the board to be able to not have to pick just between those two categories. And that's starting to spread. Things like that often start in California. Uh, (laughs) We really only have... uh, just under five minutes left and we haven't touched on the health equity alliance which a lot of you are involved in and uh so who wants to start just saying a little bit about how that ties these issues together and other issues as well that the organization works on yeah, so this is Maddie, um, and I'll just introduce the Health Equity Alliance for folks who don't know. Um, we were formerly formerly the Down East AIDS Network, um, and we still serve people living with HIV and AIDS. Uh, we provide case management services, HIV testing services. Um, we also have a robust LGBTQ plus uh, team with Umbreen and Hannah here with me offering youth services. We help out with local prides. We um, help run Bangor Pride, um, among some others. And then we have a, a harm reduction team as well. So we work with folks who who use drugs. Um, we have a certain exchange program and we distribute naloxone um, and do voter education and um, registering people to vote and things like that. Um, so that's a little bit of an introduction for the Health Equity Alliance. And hepatitis C testing. Thank you, Hannah. So how do people uh, plug in? I know there's a Facebook page because I looked at it today. What else? Uh, we have a website, mainhealthequity.org. Um, we have a newsletter starting back up very soon. You can sign up to get our newsletter and then really stay in the loop with everything that we have going on, like coming up on, is it the 16th? Yeah, the 16th, we have a gubernatorial candidate forum. So obviously, we are very busy. We do a lot of different things. And... Um 
we are a nonprofit, <laughs> so um, we welcome any support from anyone who wants to volunteer or donate items. Um, we do have a wish Amazon wish list, um, things like that. So if you want to help us out, um, feel free to give us a call, and we can tell you about volunteer opportunities and things like that. If you're interested in training for your organization or business as well, we provide those. So if you say, hey, you know, I really want to support non-binary people, trans people, LGBT people, um, give us a call, and we can we can provide trainings and technical assistance to you as well. Great. Well, I am planning to be at the uh, gubernatorial, uh, not debate, but more of a panel kind of discussion forum. So we'll see you there and hopefully talk with you again at some point in the future. It's been great having you all here. We are just about out of time for the day. So that hour just flew by really quickly. Thanks to everybody who called in. And thanks also to my guests in the studio today, Umbreen. Bana, Rana, sorry about that, Nick Sparlin, Hannah Rulin, Maddie Magnuson, to John Greenman, who engineered today's program. You've been listening to Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. You can catch us here every Tuesday at 4 o'clock on Community Radio, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. You can also find our archive programs. They're updated every Friday at WERU.org, so if you missed the beginning of this program or would like to share it with someone you can find it there thanks for listening join us again next week it's 457 and 30 seconds uh, time enough to give you a little bit of an update on the weather before main before uh, um, democracy now starts at five. We're looking at mostly cloudy for the rest of the day. High of 40, it's going down here in East Orland to 36 already. Mostly cloudy tonight with a 29 as a low. And Wednesday, mostly cloudy with a chance of snow. High of 36, cloudy with chance of snow at 50% Wednesday night. It's starting for real on later Wednesday night with 100% later in the evening. Three to seven inches. That's a winter storm warning. So be prepared. It's coming, folks. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Merrill's Bookshop, 134 Water Street in downtown Hollowell, selling fine used and rare books since